I'm Suzanne, but on the internet and in my writing, I go by the name Susie G. Welcome to episode two of Are We Allowed to Talk About This Yet? Today we're talking grief with licensed counselor Alice Sanderlin. Alice practices in Nashville, Tennessee, and counsels individuals, couples, and families on a variety of issues. The first time I talked to Alice, she gave me one hell of a gem with six little words. Sometimes depression is anger turned inward. Guys, sometimes depression is anger turned inward. When I looked back over my life with that lens, it blew my mind. I thought back to all the times I went through circumstances and sometimes trauma, feeling utterly helpless to correct my situation, especially as a kid and a teenager, but again later in life in a lot of my adult relationships. Because I was raised to be nice, and because I'm pretty empathetic by nature, all the frustration and anger I felt, rather than express it outwardly, I turned it inward. Because turning it inward is the nice thing to do when you feel angry. I sat down and talked with Alice a couple of times about grief, about the stages of grief. If you're unfamiliar, the five stages are denial, anger, bargaining, depression, and acceptance. On top of that, there's something known as complicated grief, which is most likely a thing I'm experiencing. Complicated grief is when you get stuck and can't move through the stages. They really linger. Sometimes complicated grief stems from compounded grief, where you're experiencing grief from one thing, say the death of your marriage, and then you experience another loss, say the death of your husband, and that grief is added on top. It's compounded, and it's rough to untangle it. But I'm trying. I'm really trying. So without further ado, here's my recorded conversation with Alice about grief and what moving through grief in a healthy way really looks like. So some of the people I'll be talking to on this podcast have dealt with divorce, and some have dealt with the death of a spouse. And both of those things are losses. They're different, but they're similar. So can you talk a little bit about what loss looks like kind of across the board? Mm-hmm. Yes. Yes. And you you said it well. Um, loss is similar across the board because um, we do kind of cycle through these um, stages, which are similar, but they're uh, they're not linear. They are really just kind of frameworks for the emotions that emerge in all of us when we when we lose something when we have to say goodbye or when something ends and we're trying to find our way again um and certainly loss echoes loss so um you know having one loss um and then another can really kind of bring kind of perpetuate uh that cycle and keep it rolling um um, a great book on this topic is Necessary Losses, and um, it really describes well how, you know, life is constantly letting go. So some losses are more significant than others, but we're all um, acutely familiar with loss uh, if we live on this earth. I know for me personally, um, when my husband passed away, I... I was already in counseling, and I was told what the five steps were, the five steps of grief. And so I had this expectation of I was going to, you know, go through them one at a time and kind of check them off. And once I got through them, I would be done with the grieving process and kind of be over it. And that was absolutely not what happened. 
Um, I kind of, I cycled through them. I was kind of all over the place with it. I um, would cycle through them in different orders and at different rates and kind of go back, you know, back and forth uh, between the different stages. And um, for me, I was just all over the place. So is that a pretty normal thing? Absolutely. Yeah, it is, it is a messy process. <laughs> and it's, it's unique, as unique as, um, as we all are. Um, um, meaning it grief just looks different for everybody. And that's confusing for people who expect to go through it one step at a time. It's confusing for other people who experience it one way and don't understand the reaction of a a child or a family member or a friend when they're going through it in a different way. Yeah. It's a really unique, um, it's a really unique process for uh, as, as unique as a thumbprint. One thing I didn't see coming after my husband died was the lack of closure. Um, and talking to some of my friends who had gone through divorce, um, uh, maybe you get some closure on your issues, you know, in a divorce and maybe you don't. Um, you certainly don't necessarily have to have someone pass away to not get closure, but, um, that opportunity is still there if the person is still alive. After a person is gone, that opportunity is gone. So, um, I found some things after my husband passed away, things I didn't know about, um, and I was angry and I couldn't confront him with any of that. Um, I had all of this anger and I, and I didn't have anywhere to put it. I couldn't have, you know, those conversations with him. And then suddenly I was hit with the realization of all the conversations that we would never have. We would never have a conversation again. So um, can you kind of speak to that? Um, how can we find some kind of semblance of closure uh, once people have passed away and those conversations can't happen? Yes. Um so I hear what you're saying that that's been particularly tricky for you. And I, I don't know that there is complete closure because I mean, honestly, you never will get to have those conversations, right? So how does that, how does that look? I think it's more like, um, it's more like making, making peace with that. Um, trying to realize that uh, there are things that, that you can do that can uh, make you, you know, f uh, feel some um, some release of that. I think I think that's still a piece of the of the of the cycle. I think that's still part of the grieving process. Mm -hmm. Just just still needing to work through through it, and then also you know with finding mementos or anniversaries and all these things that can kind of trigger. Uh, trigger thoughts and feelings, um, just finding a way to, to, to embrace the new normal uh, because people don't, don't really stop grieving. Um, you make peace with it in, in time mm -hmm. in your own way. And it may mean making peace with it again and again and again over time. I do a lot of writing and in particularly like in the year following uh, my husband's death, I did a lot of writing that was the kind of cathartic writing that was just for me, the, you know, the letter writing and the journaling and the kind of writing that is like the process, the processing kind of writing. Um, 
that's, you know, very kind of healing. Um, aside from that kind of stuff, um, are there any other practical exercises or things people can do to kind of work through that? Yeah. Yeah. I like, I like what you did, which was to kind of get your feelings out. Um, and it, it's so valuable to write about, to write something down because it comes out of your head and it's onto the page. Right. And then also it, it kind of helps order, uh, some of those thoughts, um, talking of course with a counselor or with somebody who, um, is a good listener can also accomplish that. Um, but I think, I think the key is, is to, is to, to, to express the emotions and to honor that that needs to happen. So, for some people that's, um, um, that's, you know, commemorating, um, uh, birthdays or events where they're not there for some people that's storytelling. Um, and I think that that, you know, keeping the person's memory alive, telling the stories. And so it, it looks different for different people. Um, but definitely expressing the feelings in, in all kinds of creative ways um, to, to, help, to help with that. As you know, um, when my husband passed away, our marriage was in a bad spot. Um, and I realized in talking to other widows uh, that that scenario isn't that uncommon. Um, I've spoken to other widows who were in unhappy and unhealthy marriages and I know uh, for myself, I can only speak for myself, um, I felt a sense of relief after my husband passed away. Um, relief because at the time he died, I was facing down a very messy divorce. And suddenly that imminent messy divorce was removed. Um, and so I was relieved of that. Uh, but then I immediately felt very guilty about feeling relieved. Because what kind of person feels relieved when their spouse passes away? Um, so can you speak to that for a moment? Um, am I a terrible person? Um, and what about all the guilt? Yeah, that I, I hear that. I hear the guilt um, in that statement. And I, I can understand that. I think anybody who it would be in those shoes would feel guilty as well. Um, there is such a thing as complicated grief and that kind of, uh, that sounds like complicated grief because you, you know, the already losing the relationship or losing the hope of ever putting the marriage back together and then, uh, mourning the, the loss of your spouse. Mm -hmm. So for the better or worse, you guys have a had a history, you have a history and that's, um, that's hard. I think at the end of the day, we have to remember that we're just people. And, um, you know, his illness was unexpected, right? It added a lot of complicated layers to your, to the relationship and to, um, uh, the, the, the family dynamics. Um, and so I, I just think, um, I think that's just one of those things that you have to just say, you know, we did the best we could and he's gone and I'm not. And, 
you have to keep living. You have to forgive yourself. You have to say it wasn't great, but there were good moments or there were good outcomes. I think you, you have children. Um, and so you just have to make peace with that and kind of move on uh, as best you can. Um, because, yeah, we're just kind of people. And, and life is not easy. Okay, so here is the magic part where you tell me how to magically do that. How do I magically get over it? I, I, I think you just, you have to work on self-forgiveness. You have to work on, I did the best I could. And, um, and when you, when you, if you're looking back thinking I didn't do the best I could, then, then, the, then you just say, okay, so that's a lesson for going forward because that's the only direction you can go in to stay stuck back there is, is not healthy or, or, um, you know, very, uh, helpful for, um, for the people who love you right now. Mm. So you have to, um, you have to just kind of examine that and try to make some peace with that and not, and not dwell. Um, there is a writer who talks about making grief meaningful and she says, um, and it's Ashley Davis Bush. And she says that you have to try to find some gratitude in life to go forward even after grief and maybe the only thing you can be grateful for are people who are, who have supported you or some, you know, people who have offered support during the, during the time, but trying to, trying to focus on what's ahead and mm-hmm. try to find some gratitude um, and, and what's, what, what's, what lies ahead, what lies before you. And it, and it's almost like when you can, can, can look uh, outwardly and and do acts of service or uh, figure out how to use what you've learned or use what you've experienced to to help other people uh, or to reach out to other as you're doing you know reaching out to other people who have experienced grief then it's um, it's like it counts for something it counts for something very very important I feel like I'm trying to normalize being a human. I feel like people think grief is supposed to look a certain way or certain ways. Um, and maybe I'm projecting a little bit on others, but I definitely felt eyes on me um, after my husband passed away. I felt like people were watching me to see how I reacted to things, to, to life. And I had one person say to me, I was really surprised to see you and your kids laughing so soon after your husband had died because I posted this picture on Instagram of us at Christmas just, you know, laughing and being silly. And at first I thought, geez, like, I'm doing this wrong. Like, I'm not feeling things right. Um, I'm doing it wrong. And then I thought, no, nope. Like, this is all okay. All of it. Grief has lots of parts to it. Um, and it's important to know that grief has lots of parts. It doesn't look one certain way. And I think it's all okay. And I, and I think that people who really understand it know that you've got to have days where you laugh. Um, I mean, you, and, it, and you do have to pick up and move on. But it doesn't mean that you don't have your moments of, of um, you know, of real sadness, too. Um, so, uh, you know, those eyes that were watching, I mean, they, yeah, they weren't, they didn't count for much because 
it's a very, very hard thing that you had to do. Speaking on marriages, uh, can we pivot for a second? I have a couple of friends going through divorces, but I also have a couple of friends who are in unhealthy marriages, uh, but they have reasons for staying. So I'm seeing personally, because I know a lot of people in, you know, religious community, um, I'm seeing women marrying young and having a bunch of kids. You know, you start your life out one way. And then at like 35 or 40, you kind of wake up and you're like, you know, how did I get here? Um, their marital dynamics are really, really unhealthy. Um, I've encountered so many women in this kind of situation lately. So, you know, what happens when you wake up at 40 and you find your marriage is unhealthy or codependent, um, but you're going to try to stay in that marriage? Um, what are some ways to kind of set boundaries or, you know, try to make that dynamic healthier? Uh, the first thought that comes to me when you mention the word boundaries is you have to take responsibility for yourself. You you have to you have to own, you know, who you are, where you are and what you want. And that means that sometimes other people don't like that. Um, and it doesn't mean that you cut those people off, but that you, you exercise your rights to make decisions for yourself. Um, I, I think you can make decisions for yourself that can also be um, relationship friendly, uh, meaning uh, that you, you take others into account. Um, but anybody in an abusive situation certainly needs to look at where they are and decide if it's a healthy environment for them or for their children or, or to even continue living in. Um, but, and then, you know, severed ties, if, it, if it's not healthy, certainly when there's abuse, that would be an example of that for, mm -hmm. um, for getting out of, uh, of an abusive relationship. But if it comes down to kind of a, uh, self-realization of I'm changing and I want a different life or there's more to me now that I've hit a certain age or stage, then I think, you know, that that can be embraced. I think people should embrace that. And in a healthy relationship, people let people change. Um, nobody likes change in a family system. It's threatening, but mm -hmm. it but the, but the system can adapt to that. So, so yeah, in setting boundaries, you have to own what's yours and you have to um, do that in spite of, of pushback sometimes. Um, and one of my favorite books on that topic is, um, is called Boundaries. And um, kind of recognizing where your, where your power lies and, you know, for, for somebody that might mean deciding to go back to school, get a, get a, an advanced degree or, um, starting a new, um, business hobby, something, whatever they find fulfilling and, um, yeah. And, and growing, choosing to grow in a different direction. It's not easy to bump up against that with, with people who have always kind of had you pigeonholed one way. 
mm-hmm. if that is if that is the case. But um, quite frankly, they can get over it. I struggled a lot right after my husband passed away with thinking, why did I implode everything? Uh, because we had the divorce talk. I told him I wanted a divorce and blew everything up. And then he died less than a month later. Um, and I kept thinking, if you just would have waited another month, you know, held out another month, everything surrounding his death would have been different. Um, if I just would have held out another month. But, you know, I had no way of knowing that, that it would only be another month. Um, but I struggled hard with that. Um, and I'm now realizing for myself that it was incredibly important that I did that, that I finally had the courage to speak up for myself a little and start setting some boundaries um, because it's empowering to set boundaries. And there is empowerment and speaking up for myself. Um, And I realize now that it's a thing that had to have happened while he was still alive, that if he would have died without me ever speaking up, um, I don't think that's a thing I would have ever found for myself after, um, if that makes sense. So I'm grateful now that I did that. And and my guess is you set those boundaries because it was better for you, for your family. It was better. And, and it was it was a movement toward, you know, better mental health or better um, um, better living conditions, whatever, yeah. whatever those things were. And um and then the irony of, of, of it all is that, you know, setting boundaries really, really can make for better relationships um, with people. It's interesting because going back and looking at the timing of everything, and I will forever kind of, you know, question the timing of the universe and how things worked out the way they did. But um, in my doing that, in setting, you know, kind of a hard line and setting things in motion, it really was like a kick in the pants uh, for him and for everyone. But he spent more time with our kids that last month. Uh, he spent more time with them that last month than probably in the whole previous year. Um, and he spent quality time with his family. And it really did, um, you know, in setting those boundaries, worked like a hard reset. And it pulled us all out of this kind of rut that we'd been in for a really long time. And a lot of good did come out of, you know, setting those boundaries, which at the time it looked like I just, you know, had blown things up, Um, but it was just setting boundaries and I can't be mad at it. I can't be mad at the timing um, because he did get that good solid time with his kids and his family before he passed away, um, which, you know, wouldn't have happened otherwise. Um, And so I can't be mad at it and I can't be mad at myself. Yeah. Especially if you know, People are going to be better off if, you know, you, you're, 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 you and your kids were better off. He was better Mm -hmm. off. And so, um, it took somebody, you know, it took guts to, to, to set that hard line, but yet everybody was the the better for it, the healthier for it. Yeah, I do. I believe that. Um, so just to sum everything up, um, what does healthy processing look like? What does healthy healing look like after a loss? What does healthy look like? I think healthy grieving is, um, is expressing your feelings, um, expressing your feelings, honoring, uh, the fact that you are in 
uh, a transition place that there are a lot of um, a lot of emotions to work through and respecting that, uh, allowing yourself time, surrounding yourself with supportive people who will let you feel and let you um, express that in, in ways that, that you need to. Um, and really, you know, trying not to not not to push those feelings aside or to deny that this is this is what you need to do. That it it doesn't feel good. It's it's it, but it's healthy. Um, and I keep using that term healthy, but it's for the betterment of your mental health. You told me a really great story before. Um, would you mind telling that again? Yeah. So I had an uncle who lived to be um, a very old man, but um, his only son uh, was killed very tragically in a farm accident. And uh, he would repeatedly tell the story of this young man and, and what he was like and how smart he was in school and how much he loved him. And he would tell that story just at different family gatherings or at just different times and of course we all knew it we knew it was coming but I slowly began to realize that it was so important for him to tell that story because um, it was it was a way for him to grieve and to uh, you know to to grieve through that and come to peace with it Every time he told the story, it was bringing his son back for a little while. Mm-hmm. So it was keeping his memory alive, but it was also it was also helping him put you know to tell the story to to um, to kind of uh, make peace with his grief. I think. Alice, thank you, um, thank you for coming on and talking to me today. And again, I'm really, I'm really, um, I applaud your efforts for 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 having this podcast. I think it's, I think it's great to talk about uh, things that are hard to discuss, like grief and loss. Thanks for listening to episode two. Thanks to Alice Sanderlin for sitting down and having a conversation. Follow me on Instagram at Susie G Writer. Follow the podcast on Instagram at Are We Allowed Podcast. Drop an email to Are We Allowed Podcast at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. New episodes every Tuesday on iTunes and Podbean.